Welcome to the Internet History Podcast. I'm your host, Brian McCullough. We've featured a lot of the stories of e-commerce pioneers on this show, but today we're going to talk about one that you might not have thought of before. Would it surprise you to learn that 1-800-Flowers was not only one of the first e-commerce experimenters, but it was quite possibly the first to be profitable online in a meaningful way. You wouldn't be surprised if you actually knew the story of 1-800-Flowers and its founder, Jim McCann. Today we're going to speak with Jim to hear that story, to learn about a company that was quite fearless in trying any new thing that came along, so long as it brought them closer to their customers. And since Jim has been in this game for quite a while, toward the end, he tells us where he thinks commerce in general is going. So please enjoy this great conversation with Jim McCann of 1-800-Flowers. Jim McCann, thanks for coming on the Internet History Podcast. Nice to be here. Speaking of where people are from, I believe you're a, a New York native? You're just making fun of my accent, Brian? No, I'm not. <laughs> Indeed, I am. Uh, born and raised in Queens. Mm -hmm. And you wanted to be a, a police officer when you were growing up? Yeah, uh, the neighborhood I grew up in was a, a blue-collar neighborhood, uh, a very mixed uh, uh, ethnicities there. And uh, so you, there were some people, there were a couple of people who put suits on and went into the city, which is what we called Manhattan. I uh, couldn't quite imagine what they did in an office with a suit on every day, but the, the real heroes and role models in my community were public servants, uh, policemen, firemen, so uh, there were a couple of other entrepreneurs in the neighborhood, uh, uh, but one of them was named John Gotti, and that was not the kind of world I wanted to be in, although it was some attractive things about it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, uh, the role models were shopkeepers, small business people, and, uh, and uh, civil servants particularly uh, policemen and firemen, so I thought that's what I'd like to do. So that's why you, uh, you went to John Jay? I went to John Jay for a couple of reasons. One is I thought I'd go into the police department. Second, it was uh, the place I could afford to go. Mm -hmm. And I guess it was a third reason, which is every other school threw me out. So, Well, that <laughs> narrows it down, I suppose. <laughs> um, but you didn't become a police officer, you became a social worker. Well, I had uh, already been a social worker, okay. so I started working in uh, in uh, a place called St. John's Home for Boys, mm -hmm. a residence and school for teenage boys, primarily court-referred, kids had come from tough, tough circumstances. And I lived in the group homes as a living counselor. And uh, uh, I loved, uh, found, found that I loved the work, and uh, I was then I was in John Jay, so I was doing both. I was doing several things, but working at the home full-time, going to school at John Jay, and uh, so when, it, when I had the options to go into the police department early on, I passed on them, A, to continue my school, and B, because I was enjoying what I was doing at John Jay, and that just became my career. Fulfill Excuse me, at uh, St. John's. Fulfilling? Uh, very fulfilling. Not financially fulfilling, but uh, from a personal perspective. Uh, the truth be told, Brian, uh, living in a group home with 10 boys, now I was just months older than the oldest mm. boy in the, the group home, and... Uh, I learned more about myself and about who I am, what I am, what my weaknesses, et cetera, are from living in an environment with those 10 young men. Uh, the relationships we formed, the lessons I learned from them, working with them. And believe me, I was not good at the work when I started. Uh, but uh, uh, it was run by an order of uh, religious uh, priests and brothers. And a fellow who ran the place uh, sort of took me in under his wing and told me that uh, he'd helped me to 
uh, explore how I can become decent at the work and save myself uh, from being hurt or killed or one of my boys from being hurt or killed. So it uh, went from being, geez, I don't think I'll ever be good at this, to loving it. Hmm. But you mentioned that it was not financially very... Well, uh, people don't go into that work for uh, for great compensation. It's the not-for-profit social services field. So that's is that what leads you into the flower business? And indirectly, yes, uh, because I grew up in a household. My dad was a small businessman. He uh, ran a painting and uh, painting company, and so I always worked. You know, the, one of the, my father's philosophy was old enough to walk, old enough to work. And so, and his other motivation was, you know, the neighborhood we grew up in had some characters in it, and he wanted to keep me from having time on my hands. So uh, we went to work primarily to keep me out of the neighborhood. And but you did learn the lessons of working in a small business and working hard and doing the things that other the the men wouldn't do, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the the boss's kid would do. Right. And uh, then I also learned some uh, skills, and uh, to supplement my income while I was at. Uh, St. John's and uh, going to school at John Jay was I'd uh, find a building in a tough neighborhood and buy it, fix it up, sell it, rent oh. it, and so I was doing the, those things on the side. Uh, also, a couple of life decisions came along that changed my risk tolerance. You know, married very young, we started a family very young, and these kids, <laughs> it's hard to imagine, but they wanted to eat. <laughs> Your kids, right? Yeah, yeah, they wanted to go to school and buy clothes and uh, that was getting uh, tougher, so uh, I was uh, on Friday and Saturday nights. I was working as a bartender in the city, mm-hmm. young people's place. And one of my customers, who would stay late on on, on Friday or Saturday nights, uh, owned the flower shop across the street. And uh, we got into conversation one night. And he told me he's going to be selling it. He had a new business idea, and he was a Greek American. Lots of Greek Americans were involved in the flower shop business and diners. Those were the two businesses in mm-hmm. New York that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Greek uh, immigrant families went into. And I said to him, do you mind if I come work there a couple of Saturday afternoons before I come to work at the bar? Just to see what it was, what yeah. the business was like. And uh, he said, well, why? I said, well, I want to see the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my old neighborhood, there was also a Greek-American owned a, a flower shop on a corner of the business intersection in our area, and he seemed to make a good living. Um, working with people doesn't sound very difficult to understand. Uh, maybe I'm a buyer, I told him. So he said, sure, come. So I worked there a couple of Saturday afternoons, and I liked it. You were involved in people's lives at a celebratory moment, a nice interaction. I had always worked in retail as a kid in addition to working for my dad, so I liked retail. I liked interacting with the public. And uh, whether it was bartending or working in a men's and boys' clothing store in my neighborhood. So I I, uh, had just sold the building, so I had a couple of bucks. So I bought that flower shop for $10,000, not with the idea of just being a florist, but of course I became a florist, mm-hmm. but with the idea of building a business. Because I looked around and there was no McDonald's in, in the flower business. Uh, no one had uh, conquered the industry. It was very fragmented. Uh, back at that time, there had just been a, a, a boom in uh, a green plants. So lots of plant shops opened up all over the country, tens of thousands of them. And they were melting away as the Fed uh, peaked. Uh, so I said, th- this could be an interesting business to, to build. So I bought that uh, shop, kept my full-time job at, uh, at uh, St. John's. Uh, at that time, I just, uh, just graduated from John Jay mm-hmm. uh, uh, the year before. And, uh, and I gave up the, uh, the bar job uh, to focus on the flower business. So every hour I wasn't at St. John's, now I'm the administrator of the home. Mm-hmm. I'm no longer mm-hmm. living in the group homes. 
uh, every hour available. I'm running my flower business, and then six months later, I opened up the second shop, and every that, six months or so on average, I opened up another shop. The first shop was on the east side? First Avenue and 62nd Street. Uh -huh. And um, what was what was the first one called? Flora Plenty. And Flora Plenty became the brand as you start to open up. It was shops. as we uh, all these shops we opened up. Then we changed the name to we uh, named them Flora Plenty. So, your idea, as you mentioned, is there's no McDonald's for florists. There, there's not that national chain. Um, so you start out by getting a bunch of shops here in the city, right? All around the, the mm -hmm. New York metropolitan area. Gotcha. So I had some in northern New Jersey, all, you know, uh, all throughout the boroughs, Long Island, uh, and so yeah, all in this metro area. Is there something that you focused on um, to to stand out as you as you start to build this brand to to um, to be different than just these mom and pop flower shops? It, it, we did because uh, you know the 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 essence of the business of a flower shop at that time was its house accounts. Well, we opened up a shop we didn't have house accounts, so we really focused on driving pedestrian traffic into our stores to build relationships, which was different than a typical flower shop because they had all been around a long time and they had their base of business. We had to go capture it early on, so we focused on more high-trafficked areas and, uh, and attracting people and pedestrians into the shop. What about the focus on um, service? I believe that you try to offer longer hours. Um, I, I read one story that um, you early on offer a 1-800 number or some form of customer service number that's you 24 hours a day on the other end of the line. That was not uh, advertised, but it was in fact the case. Mm -hmm. uh, we were, uh, we started with an 800, a company came to us and asked us if we could do a promotion for them. Mm. Uh, the company was Unilever, a little company, uh, uh, I don't know if they're still around. Huge multinational, <laughs> yes, right? And they were introducing a new fragrance and they asked if we could introduce an 800 number so that they could go around and give people in department stores a, a gift certificate that they could uh, call an 800 number and get this uh, uh, bouquet that we designed for them named after the fragrance with a sample of the fragrance in it. And the fragrance was called Impulse. Mm -hmm. So it worked. It worked well. And we, uh, you know, this came from a customer off the street, came to us and said, hey, I'm involved with this. I work for... Uh, uh, Unilever, here's what I'm doing. I'm supposed to figure out how to do this promotion. We get into a conversation. We concoct this idea that we'll design a bouquet. We'll put a sample of the fragrance in it. They can give it out to get some buzz around uh, around their new product. And uh, I'm, I'm amazed I'm remembering the names of uh, <laughs> of all these products so long ago. But it, it worked. And I'm sitting there saying, geez, people seem to be pretty willing to dial this 800 number. And back then, Brian, this is the Stone Ages. But on TV, people were spending a fortune to advertise their new 800 number uh, so that people would remember them. Sheridan Hotels at the time was spending a fortune to get people to remember 800-325-3535. And they'd have singers and dancers and Broadway numbers and everything to get people to remember the number. And I'm sitting there saying, well, what if I could get the number mm. flowers and mm -hmm. they don't have to, they c if they know how to say the name flowers and they know how to spell reasonably well, they can figure out what our number is. And uh, so I go looking for it, and I find out at, uh, at that time, the prefix uh, 356, FLO, were signed by geography. And that happened to be assigned to a, a, an outfit in Wisconsin. And they had just sold the number to an outfit in Texas who was going to build the flower business around it. So I contact them, and, oh, yeah, we have grand plans. We're going to do these things. I said, geez, I, I'm a little late to the party here. Someone else had the idea, too. 
And uh, I said, well, you know, can we work together? Okay, I can be the fulfilling florist for, uh, for the New York City area. So they'll take the orders, they'll send us the order, we'll make it up and deliver it. Okay. And uh, we get going, and for several weeks, so we're getting orders from them, and it's pretty good. And all of a sudden, they stop. And I get in touch with them and said, oh, we, uh, we overspent ourselves, we're out of business. So uh, I fly down to Dallas, Texas to see what I can do, and uh, lo and behold, uh, uh, I uh, engineer a plan to buy the company, because it's the only way I could get the phone number. Mm -hmm. There was nothing left of it. All the employees had been fired. Uh, there were two people maybe working in a place, boxing up what was left of the place. And uh, that started, it, it was uh, the best deal of my life and the worst deal. But at that time, it was more emphasis on the worst deal. Well, let me, let me briefly stop you for a second, because I've been remiss. We haven't actually framed this in time. You started in the mid-70s in the 1976, flower opened up the first flower shop. Um, you discover 1-800-Flowers already exists in the early 80s? Uh, 84 or 5. Okay, so when we're talking about 1-800 numbers being new, that's the late 70s, early 80s. That's right. Um, okay, so let, let's, let's talk about that, how it was a mistake. So the, uh, the, the people that founded 1-800-Flowers, uh, John Davis, uh, Jim Pogue? Maybe? Jim Pogue. Um, they, um, they wanted to do what your vision was, a, a nationwide sort of chain? They, 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 well, not a chain. They wanted to just do a nationwide service. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So, and so their entire business is built around this idea of having the 1-800 number. Yes. They overspent? They overshot? What happened? As I understand it, uh, they, uh, they ran some tests uh -huh. uh, in October. Christmas is an important time in the flower business. They didn't work, so they rolled it out nationally. Uh, the, the round numbers, uh, they, uh, they had raised $10 million from friends and family and business leaders in the Texas community, and uh, they spent 20 mm. So the math didn't work. They actually spent more than None of the math on this works, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so they were, they were tapioca. Uh, they had built a big uh, service center. They had sold that off separately. And so I partnered with Jim Pogue, the surviving partner there, and uh, I said, you know, I'd like to buy that. So we bought it. Now, here's the, here's the rub, Brian. I come from Queens. I'm not a sophisticated business person at all. They're down in uh, Texas. They're down in Texas. They wear suits. They look pretty sophisticated. Uh, and indeed, uh, Jim, Jim Pogue was a very sophisticated guy. And he had lots of other businesses. He was in the oil business and other things. And, uh, but he had no time or to pay attention to this. And uh, so I didn't know what bankers really did. I didn't really know what accountants did or what lawyers did. And so instead of doing due diligence, I did due negligence. And trying to save money on those professionals, I craft a, craft an agreement with uh, what was left of their board of directors to buy their assets, and I signed for all of its liabilities, not knowingly, personally. What yeah. I then learned in the next uh, six months or so is that I now had $7 million in debt I had no idea I had just committed to. And I put up $2 million to buy this thing, which was all the money I'd accumulated and could get my hands on after 10 years of working seven days a week, uh, growing my uh, uh, retail footprint. And all of a sudden now, the, there's not much business there. There's 50 calls a day, not orders, 50 calls a day. And now I owe $7 million in debt. And I had to commute to de Texas for about a year and a half, two years before I could shut it down there and get the number moved. Now it moves in milliseconds. Back then it took engineering proposals and reports uh, that took And really all along, year. that number is the only asset that really matters to you anyway. It, it, it's the only <laughs> asset. It was the only asset I got. It, it wasn't the only liability. That's <laughs> the an liabilities expensive were number. separate. Yeah. Uh, not, if I had known it, I would never have done the deal. But 
I did it. It was a mistake. You put your head down. You work through it. Well, so w you've you've painted a picture here of something that sounds like a disaster, but it we wouldn't be sitting here if it ended up being a disaster. So how how does it turn around? How does one eight hundred flowers turn around? We were the beneficiaries, Brian. Uh, now at this point, my younger brother Chris, who's ten years my junior, now the CEO of the company, uh, he had just come to work for me after graduating from school. So I had some backup in the company. Uh, I left uh, St. John, so this is now my full-time work, and. Uh, and I have to put my head down and how do I dig out of this? So we have no money to bet big. We have to, and so we figured out how to build a brand through promotion, through partnership with other companies. And we were lucky to be the beneficiaries of a lot of ink. Yeah. People paid attention to us because 800 numbers were still new. Here we were the first uh, company whose name was its telephone number. We changed the name of our stores from Flora Plenty to 1-800-Flowers and people were going, well that's crazy. And uh, so all of a sudden people are writing about us, we're doing promotions. Remember, we learned about this business uh, by doing a promotion with Unilever. We did a huge promotion with Zales Jewelry Company, which really put us on the map. Then we did an even bigger promotion with a company called Kellogg's that really put us on the map, put us on the back of uh, 40 million uh, uh, cereal boxes. Uh, so we had good luck, uh, uh, eagerness, uh, willingness to work with anyone to help them to get to their goals. And lo and behold, fast forward five years, so we get to 90, 91, 92, uh, business going pretty good. We're starting to grow nicely. Uh, we've paid off the debt, and uh, we're a national brand, and we haven't spent the money to get there. So we caught some lightning in a bottle. I read also that um, this was early on in the, in the cable industry, so um, you were able to buy cheap ads on places like CNN at the time? Well, more than buying cheap ads, we were able to build a relationship. Mm. I met uh, someone who became uh, my hero, which is uh, Ted Turner. I met him at a conference, and he took a liking to me, and uh, I told him I wanted to advertise on CNN, which was very new then. You know, mm -hmm. the talk about a pioneer, the first uh, cable news uh, channel, 24-7. Uh, it was unheard of, uh, but he had a vision for it. And I said, I'd like to advertise on it. And he said, kid, we're going to teach the world that you can uh, build a brand and sell pork chops at the same time. Uh, his point was that his, a his advertisers were primarily at that time the record collection, mm. uh, you know, uh, less than very sophisticated mm. uh, ad adver advertisers like were on the networks. So w we didn't do just direct response advertising like everyone else was doing on his ad. We did a little more upscale ad. And it was a, a branding uh, accident for us uh, that, uh, that he uh, allowed us to do that. We were buying... We were buying airtime that time, probably paying for less than less than one point of ratings. Mm. And uh, lo and behold, something comes along called the uh, first Iraq War, uh, 1992. 90. I I <laughs> 1990, yes. Yeah, sorry. Uh, the war's about to break out January, uh, and the whole country's nervous. Uh, we're going to take our ads off the air because everyone is canceling their advertising. CNN is going to be at the center of this. Uh, uh, there's great apprehension. And They're taking I, their ads off because they don't want to be associated with the right. war. Do you want to okay. be advertising during right. war coverage? Uh, you know, we all had the hangover of Vietnam in our minds. And uh, Carol, who worked for uh, Ted Turner, called me and said, Ted would like to talk to you. I'd like you to do him a favor. And I said, how can I do Ted a favor? I mean, he's God. And he asked me if I would leave my ads on the air, even though other people were canceling. He thought it was a good thing and that it wouldn't be a problem for us. 
So I said, I'd be happy to do that. And he said, well, if I'm going to ask you to do that, I'm going to ask you a second favor. And the second favor was, if he wasn't successful at getting other advertisers to stay on the air uh, during that war, uh, that, uh, that he could run my ad extra to fill the holes. Mm. So I figured, well, if you're going to be committed, be committed. Mm -hmm. And uh, lo and behold, the war starts. Everyone else cancels. Uh, CNN does an unbelievable job of covering the war. It goes very quickly, thank God. And uh, it becomes a very uh, bright day for the United States because our uh, 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 troops and leaders there did a fantastic job, and it was clear that it was going to be over quickly. And America started feeling very good about itself and about its military, and it was a war brought to you by 1-800-Flowers. Because they, CNN was a place everyone turned to. We were buying a one share. We were getting five or six times our weight that we were supposed to get because we were using us to fill the spots, and they were getting a 32-33 share. So it was a huge birthing branding event for us. Before we move on from this, I, I just have one more question about this time period. Um, at some point, FTD has to uh, become aware of you, realize that you've done this, create this McDonald's for flowers. Um, tell me about the competition um, when you start to roll out nationwide and, and build this brand. Well, uh, FTD at that time was a membership-owned cooperative. We were a member of FTD and, and very involved uh, locally with the organization. It was the only real organization that uh, uh, l uh, linked Flores together. And uh, we approached them saying, hey, here's what we're going to do. Would you like to do this with us? And uh, we were quickly uh, rebuffed and told it was a stupid idea and it's not going to work. And well, uh, maybe we'll give you $50,000 for the idea uh, if you just turn the number over to us. Well, we said, thanks, but that's not going to work. And uh, so we, we started to work with them. We were already a member. We were right. already sending our orders through them. But, you know, it's a funny thing, a lesson I learned then. That when it's a, a, a mutual organization like that and it's all member-run and member-owned, we're all for one and one for all, unless one of us gets a little far out ahead of the rest of us. And then it was all of them again me. Right. Uh, so it, it became a, a tense relationship. Uh, they, uh, uh, they didn't really appreciate our success. Uh, we, they, we were getting too big. You know, everyone else was this size, and all of a sudden now we're, we're a giant in the organization and we're uh, having too much influence. So uh, they, made one more, they made several attempts to try and put us out of business or to stop us, and that, uh, that exaggerated the bad blood between us and them. And uh, at one point we just said, we're going our own way and we quit. To seg into your early experiments with electronic commerce, um, I want to first ask the question, is there something unique about flowers as a product that sort of fits moving beyond physical retail? Because you're already having success. You said that people seem to be willing to want to call up this 1-800 number to order flowers. Is there something unique about flowers that doesn't necessarily require the storefront or... Well, yes, I would say there's a couple of things I'd, I'd paint uh, that picture of, uh, Brian. That is, uh, people were already ordering flowers on the telephone, mm -hmm. but they had a, an account at a florist. Mm -hmm. And when I went to FTD and they said, no, people aren't going to want to order on the telephone. They're not going to want to use a credit card. Mm -hmm. They're mm -hmm. not going to want to do it 24 hours a day. Who needs flowers 24 hours a day? And, and they certainly don't want a seven-day-a-week guarantee. All things I thought were silly, Chris and I, my brother Chris and I thought was silly because it was happening in every other industry, why not the flower business? But when you're in it, you tend to want to pull the covers up over your head and say the world is never going to change. Uh, we were a change agent. We already changed it with a chain of shops. No one else had done that. Uh, we changed it with the 800 number, then the 1-800-Flowers the number, and the 
24-hour service, uh, the absolute satisfaction guarantee, uh, all those kinds of things. So we had already proven that they wanted that. And I, I think that they were guilty of not wanting the world to change and not wanting to believe that the things weren't going to stay exactly the way they were because that's how they wanted them, mm -hmm. uh, that they weren't able to see that uh, the world was changing. So that was to our benefit, frankly, uh, that they didn't see it early enough. And then, of course, some years later, they realized they had to jump in and go into direct competition with us, otherwise there was not going to be anything left of them. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but if, so people were already ordering on the telephone? Uh, they were already charging, in this case, to a house account. We just switched it to a credit card now. And I think there was such curiosity in the early days of uh, uh, CompuServe and AOL that people wanted to do something online. And everybody, and we were getting a lot of press. We were the first mm -hmm. transaction of any kind on AOL. Mm -hmm. And so if you were an AOL, AOL member and you wanted to order something online so you could say, oh, yeah, I ordered something online, well, you heard that you could send flowers. You could always think of someone you'd like to send flowers to. A birthday, a new baby, sympathy occasions, get well. There's lots of everyday occasions to order flowers. So I think a lot of people ordered from us because they just wanted to try this whole new idea. That's out. so funny you say that. I've made that point several times on the show that those early services, AOL, CompuServe, uh, Genie, others, it was almost a chicken and an egg problem. They had to show you that there was some utility to their service. Yes. Um, so do they come to you first and say, hey, you want to experiment selling flowers through our service, or do you go to them? It was a combination. Uh, we were on CompuServe. We went to them. And then they were getting testy about whether or not uh, you can be on another platform. Prodigy had emerged. Prodigy then at that time owned by Sears, which was a powerhouse then, in this little outfit up in Westchester called IBM. Mm -hmm. uh, so every, they, they were like a big deal startup, but we went up and met with them, and they had suits and a nice office building, and I said, whoa, this is, they're going to be successful. But we had met this guy, Ted Leonsis, uh, Chris and I, when he, uh, when he had a, a software company in Florida, Redgate or something. It sounds right, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and we liked him. He's a Brooklyn guy, mm -hmm. Greek-American uh, from Sunset Park. We had dealt with him in a couple of other businesses. We liked him. We respected him. We thought he was smart as could be. And he said, hey, I'm involved with this company called AOL, and I know you're talking to Prodigy, and you're already on CompuServe. He said, but you ought to come talk to me and this guy, Steve Case. Uh, so my brother and I take the train down to uh, Virginia to meet with them. We meet in a steakhouse, meet their office, then we go to a steakhouse. And I have no idea what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> but I know Ted's a smart guy, and, uh, and Steve certainly seems to be a smart guy. And uh, so they're selling... And we have a relationship with Ted, and we didn't have a relationship with any of the suits up at Prodigy. So we had to make a decision, one or the other. Uh, they each wanted an exclusive. So we decided to go to AOL because it was a relationship. We trusted Ted. We got to like Steve. And we thought, hey, we don't know what this world is going to look like, but those guys have a real good shot of figuring it out. Mm -hmm. So we cast our lot with them, which was a good bet and a good decision. And we still have a good relationship with both of them and a world of respect for both of them. And we see... Uh, interact with Ted more often, but uh, uh, that was a good bet. It was, it was a bet on people, not on their platform. No, it certainly turned out to be the right bet. Um, I'm curious, though, to the, to the best of your recollection, uh, what was the uptake like? And I'm not talking about the web yet. I'm, I'm talking about the AOL CompuServe. Yep. Um, were you getting a handful of orders? Were people generally enjoying this? Repeat customers, that sort of thing? Yes. Uh, remember... You weren't there for it, but you'll you'll have heard from your grandparents about it. <laughs> it was uh, it was very clunky. I mean, it took twenty minutes to place an order. So on, I, I was twelve, but I was on Prodigy. Trust me. 
it took forever to do anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could pick up the phone and be done in two minutes. Mm -hmm. But people wanted to do it, and it was different, and it was unique, and uh, some people would rather do that than interact with someone. So, uh, 19, so we took our first order in 1994 with uh, with AOL, and I remember it was 96 or 7, to give you an idea on order scale. Uh, Halloween at that time was not an important holiday for us as a florist. Mm. Uh, but we, uh, uh, our merchants came up with a, a cute little uh, cat that had a pumpkin costume on it. So we called it the pumpkin cat uh, for Halloween. And we wanted something, a really inexpensive price point to appeal to all those young people on AOL. Now, back then, you would place an order on uh, AOL. AOL was in a batch mode. Remember, it's not the internet right. yet. Uh, you're doing dial-up modems and, uh, and uh, the famous You've Got Mail theme. And... Uh, about every uh, four to five hours, we'd get a download of the orders that came in during that period in batch form mm -hmm, onto mm -hmm. our uh, uh, NOC, our ne Network Operations Center. And we, so we put this pumpkin bear up, and we were wondering, geez, would we sell any of these things, you know? I think we sold it for fourteen ninety nine, And uh, uh, lo and behold, we, my brother Chris and I go up to uh, uh, the uh, monitors where the orders come in, and we had... 2,000 of these in inventory. And we thought, geez, I hope we sell these things. Uh, the good news is uh, it sold quite well. We get our first download. It's 3,000 orders. Mm. We only had 2,000. Uh, now, our creative people in the merchandising team fulfilled every order, but I will admit that, uh, that a lot of them look like a pumpkin dog. <laughs> uh, and so that was uh, to give you some idea how overwhelming this thing we discovered could be to us because... Halloween wasn't a big floral holiday. We did, and this is our first attempt to merchandise into gifts that people would want for Halloween that we could fulfill. And uh, it overwhelmed us in the first batch. So we quickly had to take it down because we were out of inventory like that. Okay, I, you know, I, at the risk of sort of repeating myself, but I, I really want to hone in on this because other people have come on here and told me, early e-commerce people, one of the biggest things was convincing people, it's, okay, it's safe to do this. Put your credit card online, yes. do this stuff. Um, the CD Now guys, you know, so in your experience, was there some of that where, where you're having to educate the public that Big this time. is safe to do? Our, our biggest phone call inquiry at that time? Mm -hmm. I just placed the order. Did you get it? Because <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't confident that this mm -hmm. electric thing, right. that they pushed a button to send, that it actually came to us. But then at the same time, maybe you're in a, a better position than others because your business already is this sort of Virtual distance. business, yes. Yeah. You're dialing a 1-800 number anyway, yes. so maybe they would trust you over CDNow. And I think that's one of the reasons that uh, Ted was attracted to get us to be their poster child for commerce, mm -hmm. because we already were a virtual kind of company, mm -hmm. having embraced the 800 number, become a brand, and, and we were doing 24-hour-a-day telephone service, so it was just another access modality for us. But... Uh, 1995, uh, it didn't matter much, but then all of a sudden, and we had our own website, but that mm -hmm. didn't matter because mm -hmm. no one knew how to get to you then. Mm -hmm. And then your friends at Netscape come along, mm -hmm. launch a browser, and all of a sudden this crazy world of the online world, the World Wide Web, now we refer to as the Internet, uh, matters mm -hmm. because people can find you, and now we start to see that emerge and grow much faster. The hockey stick is much faster there, even than it was on the AOL platform, because that started to mature for us at that point. Mm -hmm. uh, 96 and 97, I remember 98, our sales uh, for Valentine's Day, we eclipsed $1 million in sales on a single day. 
leading up to Valentine's Day online. And mm. that was like this momentous moment. I remember my brother like doing handstands with excitement about we'd finally uh, we crossed the $1 million barrier. And now all of a sudden 98 gets there and we realize this is going to overtake us kind of quickly. And we decided to go public in 99. So uh, let me be clear about that. You're saying that you realize that the online is going to become more important. When do you realize that the online is going to be more important than the 1-800 number? Well, it, it was around then. Mm -hmm. It was around uh, then, the late 90s, because you just saw the growth in this. And every year it was getting faster and it was getting smoother and the technology was getting better. And now all the press that had been about, oh, this new way of doing things on an 800 number mm -hmm. was 100x and it was all about this new burgeoning online world. Let me ask you about some of the innovations that going to the online world makes possible. That actually, you guys uh, lead a lot of these innovations. Things like, this, this sounds so obvious today, but a, a system of gift reminders. Mm -hmm. Of, of reminding someone that your mother's birthday is coming up or things like that. So does that materially change your relation to the relationship to the customer when you can have an account and you can remind them, you can uh, remind them of previous orders, things that they might have liked in the past? How does that change the, the business? Well, I'd say everything, let's go back to the flower shop on First Avenue and 62nd Street. The relationship we had with our customers, and I mean that relationship, mm -hmm. we probably had, this is 40 years ago, we probably had 40 customers who made our business. Mm -hmm. Had lots of other customers, but 40 regular customers who really made it go. And it was a relationship that we would remind them of a birthday coming up. Uh, they'd stop in to ask about uh, the Il Vagabondo, the restaurant around the corner from us that was so popular. Uh, are they going to be reopening after the renovation? And mind if I drop my dry cleaning off here while I run around so I don't have to go up and down to the apartment all the time? Uh, can I make myself a mug of coffee? You know, all those kinds of things. You had a relationship. It wasn't just transactions. So all of these emergence and change, emerging and changing technologies allowed us to mimic in a mm -hmm. better way the relationship we had one-on-one, -on -one, eyeball to eyeball with customers on our original flower shop. So we did reminders by mail before the internet came along. Mm -hmm. And they were effective, but they were more effective mm. and quicker and closer and more proximate to the event. And we didn't have to guess, well, it's sometime in the next couple of weeks because we got to count on US mail to get the reminder to you. So it made everything better, faster, and more, uh, and more proximate to the occasion. We've already talked a lot about AOL, but uh, let's, let's bring it into this late 90s era um, and then into the IPO era. Um, and we, we talk about it, we th the way we think about it, uh, Brian, is mm -hmm. that we've, the waves of our business cycle. Yeah, no, I'm seeing that. First wave is retail. Sure. A store and a chain of stores. And that we learn a lot from that. It, we never threw it out. We still have stores. Mm -hmm. uh, the second wave, of course, was the 800 number, changing our name to 800 Flowers. Uh, uh, thinking about ourselves as a, a national then global company. That was the second wave. The third wave is the one you just uh, uh, were talking to me about, which is this online world, first uh, with the uh, gated communities of uh, CompuServe and, and then AOL, and then the, the, the web itself uh, emerging as a, a portal. So we consider that the, uh, the second wave, uh, uh, the third wave rather, the mm -hmm. internet. The fourth wave was uh, the uh, 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 mobile social, mm. SOMO, uh, beca because we had become a national brand with no money. I mean, we were not less than no money. We had huge debt. And we lucked into good fortune, good partnership, 
uh, catching lightning in a bottle that all of a sudden 1-800-Flowers from 1986 to 1990, 91, 92, that six year period, we became a national brand. Mm -hmm. And we didn't spend a lot of money to get there, so we lucked into it. But we're saying, wait a minute, if we with no money, a couple of guys working out of the basement of our flower shop in Queens could do this, what's the next change coming along that someone else could do to displace us? So uh, Andy Grove hadn't yet written the book, uh, Only the Paranoid Survive, but that's sure how we thought. Mm -hmm. Now Chris, being 10 years younger, just out of university, uh, liked the new technology, so he was the one always pressing us to take new experiments. And the internet and AOL were just two of the 50, no exaggeration, 50 that we had tried. We tried uh, uh, catalogs on CD-ROMs mm -hmm. and all these other uh, shopping communities and malls online and all these other kinds of things. And thank God we never spent too much money on any of them. But the one that kept coming back to us was this online world, first mm -hmm. in the gated communities and then uh, in, the, in the Internet. So you're always placing bets. You're not afraid to, well, let's give this a try. Let's give this channel a try. Well, uh, our goal was we're always thinking if the customer had instant access to us, mm -hmm. if when they're in the shower in the morning and they think, oh, Meredith did a great job for me and get ready for this presentation, I really ought to say thank you to her. If, we're at, if we could be standing there when he came out of the shower to hand him his towel and he said, hey, send her a nice bouquet of mm -hmm. flowers for me, he'd be more likely to act on his thoughtfulness. Mm -hmm. So our job was how do we make ourselves as convenient and easy and accessible to our customers all the time. So that was our always motive. Is it easier for the customer to get to us? Mm -hmm. And if it is, they'll think of, they'll have better relationships, more relationships, they'll act on their thoughtfulness more if it's convenient. If he has to wait till he gets to the office and pick up the phone or stop it down at lunchtime at a shop, it's going to be a degradation in terms of his ability to respond to the good thoughts he had. So that's why uh, we were always prompted to say, how can we be easier? How can we be more convenient? Because when your name is 1-800-Flowers.com, you don't have to tell people you're convenient. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to that. In fact, we'll end with this idea of the thread between the four things. Do me a favor and just speak to two historical eras, first of all. Late eras or eras? Because I have lots of eras. <laughs> eras. Um, late 90s, things like AOL, but also the portals, Yahoo, Excite, things like that. How important when you're building the brand online, when you're trying to get customers online? In the late 90s, how important was it to do a deal with AOL or with a Yahoo to be like the, the, the premier flower vendor on, on portals and things like that? I don't know for sure, uh, but the pitch was, look, uh, they weren't shy, withering fellows over at AOL. They mm -hmm. were sharp-elbowed, and uh, if you don't do the big deal with them, I got 10 other guys in line who'd love to be in your position. So we spent hard, and one of the reasons we went public was we were at war. Mm. 1998... Uh, 1997, we had zero competitors. Mm. 1998, we have 21 finance competitors we're tracking, including FTD that finally woke up and decided to get into the game and raised outside money, sold themselves, and we're now spending at a, a, a rapid pace to try and catch us. So uh, it was, frankly, uh, it was a, a conversation that Chris and I had down in Virginia at AOL's building. We had been thinking about going public, and we had a conversation walking out to the car with Bob Pittman. And Bob said to us, you know, you guys ought to think about going public. And I said, why do you say that, Bob? He goes, because you guys are in a war, and it's a dogfight, and it's a war for eyeballs, and uh, dumb money's around. That's why you have 21 finance competitors. And, but 
money is money, and it's sort of free right now. And I don't know how long you can afford to do this out of your own pockets. We had just signed a big deal with them, which was stretching us, to say the least. And it was a huge risk. And he said, the markets are open. You guys ought to think about it. And that was, uh, that, that's what caused Chris and I. It was probably a tipping point for us to say, yeah, let's go ahead and do this. So we uh, uh, went to a good friend, uh, uh, Bob Lesson, who was a famous banker at that time, wasn't at a bank at that time, but he said, you got to talk to the, my friends uh, either at Morgan Stanley or Goldman Sachs. Those are the, the two bankers I'd recommend you think about. We wound up going with Goldman Sachs, and we went public in uh, August of 99. What we didn't know is the window on IPOs for e-commerce companies was closing. Mm -hmm. The morning we went public, Yahoo missed their numbers for the first time, and the market was tanking. The good news is we got out, we raised all the money we needed in one shot, we got a great valuation on the company, we took plenty of money off the table, all of those things. So we had very fortuitous timing. Did the, uh, did the bubble bursting affect you guys very much? I mean, you're, it's actually great timing, so you've got this war chest and it's right around the corner that the bust happens, but. Yeah, the good news is we had enough money to survive that, to buy, you know, build out the company in terms of the people we needed, the technology we needed, while everyone else was going up in flames and disappearing. I remember, uh, oh, uh, uh, lots of people giving us advice, only go, go public small, mm -hmm. take a little bit of money, and then walk them up the ladder. And I said, you know, I only want to do this once. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I don't want to walk up the ladder, you know, because lots of companies who tried to walk out, ran out of money and went away. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, uh, the carnage was, uh, was all around us. Um, also, the the relationship, you know, your experience online immediately after the bubble bursting when people start to think, oh, maybe this was a fad or something like that. From, your, from the perspective of 1-800-Flowers, um, you don't see people going away from ordering online, do you? Like, doesn't, even though if the markets are tumbling and people are going out of business, do you still see, well, people are still ordering, people we, are still... We've, we've been in business now 40 years. We've had growth every one of mm -hmm. those 40 years except for two. And it wasn't then that we went backwards. Mm. It was this, I don't know if you read about this recession thing that happened mm -hmm. in 08, 9, and 10. In 9 and 10, we went backwards for the first time ever in our mm -hmm. history. And thank God, not again since. Uh, but that was, we always remained profitable, but it was the first time we saw a sales decline. That was much more of an impact. We grew right through the bubble mm -hmm. every year and, and, and double-digit growth every year. All right, two final questions, I promise, and then I'll let you out of here. Um, you, we've spoken briefly about um, the fourth stage um social and maybe not as much mobile in this question but are you have you seen any different behavior from customers in the era of facebook in the era of i'm sharing the flowers that i got from my husband at work this morning is there a is there some material difference in the relationship that you have with customers that social either has affected or improved or anything yes uh, and when i say social and mobile I don't think one works without the other. Mobile was a fuel that made social more, uh, more uh, uh, ever-present, and, uh, and social was the thing that made you want to have the latest uh, capability in a mobile device. Uh, so they were inseparable in our minds. One aided and abetted the other. In terms of relationship with customer, it goes back to the comment I made earlier. Uh, in a social world, we can get into a relationship with a customer that's better, more meaningful, and not just transactional. On the other hand, there's negatives to it, too. Uh, the anonymity of the social world and the behavior of the social world. We're in the flower delivery business, so uh, we, d we deliver gifts. Food gifts, uh, popcorn, chocolates, gift baskets, pears. 
uh, and flowers. And uh, some things can go wrong. Uh, uh, a FedEx uh, a truck delivering a, a gift basket for us uh, could get uh, hit by a train. Mm -hmm. uh, a plane can go down. Uh, you might have given us the wrong address or sent flowers to the hospital for the lady who had the, the uh, new baby, but she was discharged two days ago and mm -hmm. you didn't know that. All those kinds of things. So things do go wrong in our business. We're not delivering a, a, a box with, uh, with uh, six pairs of socks in it. Uh, and it doesn't matter if it gets there at 2 o'clock in the afternoon or it gets there at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Ours is time sensitive. And uh, when you send flowers to that teacher at the school and she went home early that day because, uh, because uh, uh, half the kids in the class had the flu and we get there at 3 o'clock with the flowers that you ordered at 1 o'clock, we don't know that. So things can go wrong. In a social and anonymous kind of uh, 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 communications marketplace, some people tend to be uh, start out at about a thousand degrees, <laughs> and uh, they will say things they would never say to anyone's face, yeah. and they would never say to the shopkeeper. Uh, but <coughs> online, they might do that. So, uh, someone said to me yesterday, someone who runs American Express said to me, you know, so it used to be, you do something good for someone, and they'll tell another person. Mm -hmm. You do something bad, they'll tell ten people, <laughs> and now it's ten times a hundred uh, that they. Uh, they want to. They want to. Uh, they want to make a lot of noise about it. But I think it's made us better as a company. I think uh, we uh, we take every single order that we get uh, seriously. We know the important intent of every one of those expressions, and I, I think it's forced us to up our game dramatically. So, uh, as a consequence, we we've won I think 14 different uh, customer service and performance awards in the last 14 months uh, because we put a lot of time and energy into making sure. Uh, we're the best out there. Even the best out there will make a mistake from time to time. Our job is to make it right. So finally, let's come back to the, the four stages. Um, it sounds to me when There's you... There's a new one coming, Brian. All right, well, then <laughs> let's get to that. It sounds to me that the, th the, the thread, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but the thread is sort of, you were describing getting rid of the friction. If someone has the impulse to want to use your product, you want to be in that place when they have that impulse. We want to be there, we want to have the right product, the right assortment at the right price points to help them to act on their thoughtfulness. So if they want to send, a, if flowers aren't appropriate, that's why we moved into food gifts uh, a dozen years ago. Uh, if uh, if we're, we're looking at price points so that we're more appropriate so you can use this more frequently, so younger and younger people can use it. So we're, if there's a criticism, that the, one of the many criticisms that could be lobged, lodged against us is when something new comes along, because of our DNA, we mm -hmm. say, how can we be a better florist and gift company using that technology? Mm -hmm. We never make the jump to say, how do we become a technologist? We know a lot about this uh, artificial intelligence stuff. Let's, let's become an artificial intelligence company. Our DNA is, how do we use artificial intelligence to reduce the friction so we can make more and more customers, mm -hmm. make uh, more and more people customers of ours? So, if that's the thread that's run through these four stages, where does that take us to the next stage? Well, we're not technologists, but we, we do have a view to the pipe. And a pipe is made of glass, in my opinion, so you can see the things that are coming through. And clearly, there's a, some things that are terribly exciting now. Uh, my brother, uh, Chris, calls it uh, conversational commerce, and that would be evidenced by our partnership with, uh, with Facebook on their messenger bot. Uh, and uh, so you can order, as uh, Mark Zuckerberg said on the stage of F8 last April, he said, you know how easy it is to fl order flowers, you just have to uh, call 1-800-Flowers, now you don't even have to call them. 
Uh, so that was a big deal for us that uh, Mark chose us as the first thing to talk about with his new uh, messenger bot. Then we partnered with Amazon on the Alexa platform. We were the first thing you can do on Alexa. We were first thing you do before you could order anything from Amazon mm-hmm. on Alexa. Mm-hmm. So we were thrilled that Jeff Bezos and the talented team out there chose to approach us and work with us. Then we partnered with IBM's Watson, which is just an amazing uh, investment and capability that IBM, IBM has been investing in for 10 years now. And now it's just become uh, coming to the marketplace in ways that people can actually figure out what to do with it. And so we created our own character called Gwyn, which works on the uh, uh, Watson platform, which is a, uh, a recommendation engine for you. Uh, so we're, we're happy to, uh, to uh, be the, uh, the partner of choice for so many of these companies because it's in our DNA to be a good partner and to bring good ideas to companies and work well with them. And so we're fortunate that we get asked to do a lot of those things first. So I think AI, artificial and augmented intelligence, is going to change our lives dramatically. So we say, again, how, does, mm-hmm. how do we become a better floral and gift company? I think the blockchain is going to have a revolutionary impact on lots of things. So I think the back end of our house, uh, the finance function, the inventory function, uh, the payment, uh, how we pay for things, our relationship with our flower farms all over the world, uh, with the growers of our uh, fruit and our vegetables uh, in, in our Fruit of the Month Club and all, all going to change and it's all going to be because of blockchain. Mm. And uh, I know our, uh, our finance people are saying, wow, this could really change how we do things. So I think those two technologies are the ones that we have our eye on the most and working diligently with companies whose expertise are in those areas to say, help us to be a better floral and gift shop. Well, and it just seems in your DNA that you're, you're willing to, to try it all. <laughs> so I'm sure you'll be there first, whatever it is. Well, I think we, we already are on the AI side and on the blockchain side, we hope to be too. Uh, Jim McCann, thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast uh, and remembering that great entrepreneurial story, but also uh, those great lessons on uh, being an entrepreneur. I'll leave you with one last lesson, Brian, for your listeners. Sure. Uh, You know, I wouldn't take advantage of this time to do anything so crass as to take a commercial message here. (laughs) I'll just say as a public service announcement, there are 800,000 people having a birthday today in the United States. And if you know just one of them, I know a way that you can express yourself real well and wish them a happy birthday. And your mom could always use some flowers, too. I, th- I think she deserves them. Thank you so much, sir. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. If this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, please subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice. There's plenty more great internet history where that came from. And if you're a longtime listener, then you know what to do to help us out. Rate and review us on iTunes because iTunes gives credit to reviews and ratings, and the more great reviews we get, the more people will discover us. As always, there's more info on our website, www.internethistorypodcast.com. The show's Twitter handle is at nethistorypod, and my personal Twitter is at brianmcc. Thanks for listening.